Father God, now we always like to begin our study of your word with the word of prayer, which just calls out to you, God, in faith that your Holy Spirit would assist us in understanding your word. It's your God-breathed word from heaven sent to save us and to guide us and to heal us and give us life. We acknowledge it's not of uh, man or man's own interpretation, but the living, breathing word of God. So open our, the eyes of our understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a rather horrifying experience a little over a week now ago uh, for over 4,000 passengers on board the cruise liner, the Costa Concordia, off the shores of Tuscany, Italy, some pictures for you, 11 people confirmed dead, 21 missing passengers presumed to have perished as well. The cruise liner is twice the size of the Titanic and is still listing on its side in the very cold waters of the Mediterranean. Quote, we were dining when the lights went out pitch black and suddenly we heard a bang. The dishes fell to the floor. Everything began sliding like a scene from the Titanic. Chaos, confusion, and pandemonium set in. The Italian news agency ANSA reported that some people had jumped overboard into the icy waters to and in the scramble to evacuate the ship, which had just begun a Mediterranean cruise. The exact dynamics of the accident are still unclear, but that the first alarm went off around 10.30 p.m. when the vessel slammed into a rocky reef, ripping a gash 165 feet across on the left side of the ship. And immediately the boat started taking on water and listing to its side. A reputation for being a daredevil, Captain Chitino has been arrested on multiple charges, which include multiple manslaughter, abandoning ship, and causing a shipwreck. He has the reputation of being a daredevil, grandstanding for personal ego. There are also stories of womanizing and drinking on the night the ship ran aground. The facts are still emerging, but it would seem that this captain had more on his mind that night than the safe ferrying of passengers to safe harbors. Um, people put their trust in him, and through this man's self-centered negligence, he drifted off course. And as a result, lives were lost People were injured, and chaos and confusion abounded. Now, interestingly, the Bible uses the image and picture, a metaphor of a shipwreck, to describe the outcome of false teachers and those who follow them. Uh, Paul tells Timothy that some have rejected the truths of the gospel and have shipwrecked their faith. And he names them. Uh, these men and those who follow them through either false teaching or immoral living, as far as the Christian journey is, uh, goes, they have crashed. 
they no longer are sailing safely uh, in their Christian walk toward heaven. Uh, something's gone wrong, and they have gone sideways or upside down, and they're stuck in a precarious, life-threatening situation. The cause of a spiritual shipwreck, believing a lie. The Apostle Peter, here on earth, now knows here in second chapter that his life is coming to an end and he soon will be going home to be with the Lord as the Lord Jesus revealed to him in John chapter 21 the Lord told him uh, the means by which he would glorify God by being martyred and now 30 years later the apostle Peter realizes either through common sense of his situation or the prompting of the Holy Spirit that that time Jesus spoke of some 30 years earlier was now drawing near. And so he didn't want that to happen without one last shout out. It's called Second Peter. A three-chapter quick letter that says, hey, uh, my time here is very short, but there are a couple things on my mind that you should remember when I leave. And two things that he's talking about, he says, I want all Christians to avoid being shipwrecked in their faith. And the two simple ways to make sure that you live an, uh, an effective and productive life that you will be kept from falling and, and gain a, a rich welcome into God's eternal kingdom. There's a way to do that by making two things, every effort to live a morally excellent life, that the godliness and characteristics of Christian living would be ever increasing in your life, and number two, to keep yourself from false teaching. Those are two things he says, two big rocky reefs, if you will, to steer clear of, moral compromise and theological error. So here in chapter two, it's time to denounce those uh, through, who, through whom these errors come. Uh, here in chapter two, Peter begins a fiery denunciation of false teachers of his day, which is now going to be his theme until the end of the book of 2 Peter. So verse 1, chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. That concludes the text that we're going to consider this morning, really kind of unusually short, but there's a lot packed in here, and I'd like to take our time because the entire rest of the book is devoted to this theme of false teachers and their teaching, describing who they are and what they do and what they're all about, but it's nice to take our time here and kind of get our bearings and understand what false teaching is, what it is not, 
and what these warnings here mean for us today who are surrounded by all kinds of uh, winds of teaching, and we need to be careful and, and take heed to these warnings. So first of all, uh, we'll walk our way through the passage, and I'll give you the point after I read the verse. All right, you note taker, so don't worry. Uh, what's interesting to me right off the, the jump here is 22 verses of this chapter, there's no command to you. There's no exhortation to the Christian. It's just a description, 22 verses describing, really, it's kind of like a nasty-looking wanted poster of the bad guys. You know, here's what they look like in all their evil ways, these false teachers. Uh, so here's what they look like. Stay clear of them and anything they have to say. It's kind of one time I was... Uh, hiking on a trail and there was just a picture of a rattlesnake with the tail up. I didn't need any words. I just saw the picture. I got I got the whole message. I didn't need like a whole lengthy thing. I just needed to see the picture and suddenly I was focused. Uh, and that's kind of what's going on here as he describes who they are and what motivates them and how often evil that they are even without even knowing it, perhaps, you want to stay way away. So let's take our time and take some care with this very sensitive uh, topic, and um, we're going to use it as a diving board to jump into the whole subject. So first of all, in verse 1, uh, paraphrase it says, but just like Israel had their share of false prophets, the church has and will always have its share of false teachers. And so Roman numeral number one, as I promised for you note takers, counterfeit teaching is nothing new. So Peter is saying, number one, watch out for false teaching because it's been here from the beginning and it will be here until the end. And it's not just out there. It's in here. So he says, watch out. Uh, interestingly, uh, Peter has just brought up uh, in the close of chapter 1, the Old Testament prophets and how the word of God came as an anchor to our souls. Right? So he just said, hey, listen, the word of God didn't come from men. It came from holy men, God separated, uh, and the Holy Spirit filled them and carried them along and gave them that message. It is a God-breathed word. He says, you do well to pay attention to that. And then your first word is but. But, although Israel had a succession of these true prophets Peter just talked about, not everyone who said, thus saith the Lord, back in the Old Testament, actually spoke for God. Instead, they were advancing their own ideas and programs. Now, when we consider what he's talking about, calling our attention back to the false prophets of the Old Testament, um, Israel had two types of false prophets to deal with. Those from the outside. So, uh, in other words, the prophets of Baal, pronounced Baal, who was the pagan's god of success and money. And Baal had various goddesses who he uh, considered his mates over the years. 
and they were uh, the goddesses of fertility and of love and of sex. And so the main ideas was money, uh, success, and sex. Those were the gods 3,000 years ago. <laughs> wow, nothing new under the sun for sure. And the names have changed, but of course the worship is the same. Then the Jewish false prophets, the in-house guys, the guys that looked like Jews, talked like Jews, but really weren't even saved themselves, the guys who knew the scriptures better than anybody else, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes, the theologians of that day. Jesus rebuked them in John chapter 5 and said, you guys with the long flowing robes and the scriptures on your forehead and your hands, your leaders, your members of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and you diligently study the scriptures because you think in them you have life. But he says, those scriptures testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. In other words, here they are speaking the words of God, and they themselves are lost. And those who follow them and their teaching are lost as well. I really like what Jeremiah, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah in the 23rd chapter, which is filled with uh, the whole subject of Israel's false prophets. Uh, the Lord says, I haven't sent these prophets, yet they run around claiming to speak for me, I have given them no message, yet they keep on talking. <laughs> I really like that verse. It, it's the Lord saying, I don't know them. I didn't send them. They don't speak for me. And boy, are they in big trouble. That's really essentially what's going on. I love this quote from a commentary. According to Jeremiah 23, and, and listen for contemporary application. These Jewish false prophets were popular because they were politically correct. They went along with the times. They adapted their message so it would not offend society. They told people what they wanted to hear and how they would have to have, be able to have their cake and eat it too. They could follow their own ideas and passions and have God's blessing and peace. Warren Wiersbe adds to that, saying, theirs was a religion of ease comfort and prosperity. They gave the people what they wanted to hear, peace, peace, peace. But unfortunately, it was false. And so Peter says now too, just as Israel from the dawn of time had false prophets, the church, God's people in the New Testament will have false teachers. Do you, did you catch that? False prophets in the Old Testament, false teachers in the new. Why? Because technically, the office of the prophet has ceased. The office. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, says that the church and the pillar of the gospel has been laid, the foundation has been laid by the apostles and prophets. That foundation is done. It does not mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak through people or prompt them or the gifts of the Holy Spirit not working. I'm not saying that, but the, technically, the office of the prophet is over. We have the word of God. We have Jesus. In the old days, in the past times, God spoke to us through the prophets, but now, through his son, now that his son has uh, been revealed to us, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 
one. And that's just a side note there. But um, Peter uh, now is saying to us that uh, just as the, the false prophets inundated Israel, so false prophets, teachers now, inundate the Christian church. Now, the same thing, idea. You have false teachers who are outside of Christian circles. They have nothing to do with Christianity at all. Just like when the first century church started, they had to deal with Greek mythology and the worship of idols and all of that. Uh, modern pagan religions now, Wicca, which is a shortened name for witchcraft from the 40s and 50s. That's exactly what it was. They shortened the name, changed it to Wicca, a modern pagan religion. There are contemporary New Age philosophies all over the place. Pantheism, which means, you know, God is in you, God is in me, God is in the trees, God is everywhere, everything's cool kind of thing. Reincarnation, all of that. Then you have, still on the outside, full-on religious systems. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. To all of this, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so he is saying to the rest of the world and to all the what he would call false teachers outside of Orthodox Christianity, um, false. Then you have inside Orthodox Christianity, false teachers. Now, when I say the word Orthodox Christianity, the word Orthodox comes from two words, ortho, right or straight, dox, belief. So you know orthopedic surgeons take the bone and straighten it out, right? So it's straight thinking, straight beliefs, orthodox Christianity when we talk about that. The word doctrine just means teaching from the Greek word didache, which just means teaching or set of precepts. And so the in-house Christianity, uh, false teachers, use language of the Bible, profess knowledge of God, but depart from the truths or practice. Now, false teachers deny what we call the essentials of Orthodox Christianity. If you mess with the following things, you are a false teacher. Number one, the divine inspiration of the Word of God. If you say that the word of God is not what it claims to be, the word of God, that is a false idea. The deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that in every way, Jesus Christ is God. God poured into a human body, fully God, the second person of the Godhead. His sinless life, his substitutionary death on our behalf, his resurrection from the dead, and his second coming to judge the world. Salvation by faith alone. Faith, grace, plus nothing. Anything else, you don't have Christianity. Holiness of life. If anybody, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So if you don't teach holiness, then you can't possibly have the gospel. And then finally, the resurrection of the dead. Eternal life for those who are redeemed, who have accepted the gospel, and eternal condemnation in hell for those who have rejected him. That's the core. All right? So 
Then we have non-essentials in Christian understanding. Now, uh, we would say you can differ on the non-essentials. For example, um, and it doesn't qualify as false doctrine. The chronology of end times. Do we get raptured first and then the second coming, or is it the second coming at the same time as the rapture? Uh, when is the sheep and goat judgment? Is it before the millennium starts? When's the great white throne? Is it before or after? All of those things we can disagree on, and I don't think we have the right to call somebody a false teacher because those things are not fully understood. The version of the Bible you use, the form of your liturgy, how you worship the Lord, how the worship services go, the style of ministries in a church. Is it high church or low church or medium church, whatever? Uh, uh, I think we're medium, by the way. Some would say low. <laughs> Whether or not the gifts like tongues is for today or not. Women's role. Church governance. Is it elders, deacons, and bishops? Or is it bishops and deacons? Is it deacons and elders? Is it just pastors or what? You know what? When we get to heaven, we're going to find out who's right about all of that stuff. <laughs> But until then, on those issues, we can agree to disagree. But if you're going to tell me that Jesus is not God, when in John 14, 7, he says that he is, if you're going to tell me that you have to be baptized in order to be saved, and Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, no, you don't. If you're going to tell me that there's another redeemer, a co-redeemer or a co-redemptress that you can call to to have a mediation before God and man when 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, there's one. If you're going to tell me that I can embrace my sexuality because I was born this way and still make it to heaven when 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says, Do not be deceived. Those who live sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then, pal, we don't have a Christian doctrine. We don't have Christianity. You've got another gospel, and you are a false teacher on the essentials. Do you see what I'm saying? You can say amen. amen. Thank you. <laughs> In that case, uh, you have another gospel, says the Apostle Paul, which is really no other gospel. So Peter's saying here in this first sentence, watch yourself. There's always been, there always will be the wheat and the weeds that look just like the wheat that are going to grow together. You know, some would say, hey, pull them up right now. And Jesus says, no, you're going to pull up the wrong one because you've got some wheat that look like wheat but they're really weeds, and weeds that are looking bad, but they're really the wheat. You'll never know the difference, so leave it. It's going to be the way it is. So expect them, be aware of them, and here's what they do. Verse 1b, these men will smuggle in destructive heresies, secretly denying the lordship of Jesus who redeems us, bringing quick condemnation on themselves. So Roman numeral number two, counterfeit teaching is destructive. Sometimes we forget about that. 
you know, I, I get taken to task once in a while because especially lately I've been calling uh, churches out and I've been naming names. And people will say, Ambassador Ross, why do you have to name the name for? And I said, well, what about Paul saying Hymenius and Alexander? Mark them. They have shipwrecked. How about Simon, that sorcerer over there? The pro-council uh, over here and, and, and Alexander the coppersmith who opposes our message. They're called out by pastors to warn the sheep, watch out for that teaching because if you put your faith in that, the word destructive, it's destructive to your soul, of course, that we have to, uh, to reveal the truth. And sometimes that involves um, calling people out, as I'm going to here in the message, so get ready for that. <laughs> as, uh, but I, I, I don't do so with any joy, and I don't do so with feeling that I am any better than any other human being. In fact, I feel like the Apostle Paul. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. There's no joy, there's no superiority, there's no we do it right and you're doing it wrong. It's give me your teaching, I'm not judging your heart. I don't know who's going to heaven, who's not, that's God's business. But give me your teaching, I am called to lay your teaching out with the gospel next to the word of God. And if it doesn't line up in the essentials, I am to know you by your fruit and to reveal that to those to whom I am called to shepherd and to protect. Interesting word, he says, these destructive heresies. Now, heresy is a great word. Originally, the word heresy meant to make a choice. That's what it means. So, for example, God says, don't eat of that tree. Don't go near it, don't eat of it. And the day you eat of that tree, in the middle, right there, you will die. And then the heretic comes with the choice and says, the heresy is, all right, I, I heard what God said. Now let me tell you what I say. Did he, first of all, did he really say it? Question mark. Next, let me give you my take on it. It's good fruit. It'll make you smart. It'll make you like him. He doesn't want that to happen. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. So go ahead and eat it. Now you have a choice. She chose, and when she chose the destructive heresy, she was destroyed. Destructive is an important word in the sentence, and secret is an important word, because it was the tempter. And when God calls her on the carpet, what does she say? The, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. He offered her a choice, and that's what heresy is. It's the choice to choose away from orthodox Christianity, the truths that have been passed down for hundreds of years to us, guarded by the Holy Spirit. And we cling to those things. They're destructive. The word destructive means to perish, to be ruined, to be condemned. You say, well, you know, maybe they're off just a little bit. Why get so excited? So I asked a pilot who's retired in first service. I said, Captain Craig, if you are chartered to fly to Hawaii and you're off two degrees, he says, you miss it by 
hundreds of miles. Completely. They're just, it's just, with the essentials, it's like we got Jesus. We got Jesus and we got a little something else, a 2% thing right here. You got a problem with that? Yeah, if you want to land in Hawaii. And we all do, right? <laughs> all right, look, if you're going to applaud, it's got to be the whole place. All right, go ahead. All right, there you go. Instead of that. Now, destructive. Of course it's destructive. If you're, if you're told the chemo's going to cure you, that's not chemo in the bag, you're in trouble. If you're told the lifeboat will save you, <laughs> you get in it, it's got holes, you're in trouble. If you're told the only way out alive of a cave is to turn left, and you end up going right because somebody tells you, convinces you, hey, it's OK to go right, too. Uh, if God's word stipulates the way to be saved from hell is X, Y, and Z, and someone else says, hey, God's way to save you forever is A, B, and C, and you go with A, B, and C, you lose your soul. That is why it's very important what you believe. It matters. And of course, secretly, because nobody would knowingly choose the sugar water or the boat with the leaks or the dead-end path when your life is on the line. So it has to come secretly. The apostle uh, Paul says, uh, in essence, false teachers, whether they know what they're doing or not, themselves being deceived, pass along the same distortions of truth in a manner consistent with their own deception. Some false teachers know what they're doing, and others are just deceived, and they're passing it on, and they're in their deception. They think they're doing a good thing, but they're deceived, and those who follow are deceived as well. Listen to these words to the Ephesian leaders from the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Here's the sad part. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. The secret part is hard. It really means to smuggle in, to secretly infiltrate, uh, to bring subtle twists and imbalances that are difficult to recognize at first hearing. In balance really is a real weapon. Now for me, Paul the Apostle just described them as ferocious wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, they look really good, but listen, it'd be easy for me if these false teachers were looked as nasty as they sound. You know, I, I, to see blood dripping from the corner of their mouths, you know, with big nasty teeth and really, you know, a little, maybe some horns a little bit uh, uh, with dead sheep laying all over the place. Then we'd be like, oh, bad guy. <laughs> but you know what? They wear really cool suits now. They're really attractive. 
They're very hip and cool and sensual. And they're nice guys. You meet them, they're nice. They're perfectly nice. They don't look. I, I, I couldn't believe you are a, you're a fierce, false prophet like a wolf in sheep's clothing, ready through Satan to destroy, to hinder, to hurt. It doesn't seem possible. But here's what Paul says. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. And so verse 2 says, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So Roman numeral number three, and there's only four points, counterfeit teaching is popular. It was, it is, and it will always be popular. For the time will come, Paul, speaking to Timothy, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine just means solid teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So, counterfeit teaching is popular. What does he say there? He says, many, many are going to follow, and many do. Why? Well, I'm going to name two ministries. One the largest church in the, the United States, and two, the fastest growing church in the United States. Both of them, because of the verse, many will follow this false teaching. All right? So let's start with the largest church in the United States with 45,000 members. It's a word of faith movement. And here from their website, it starts off really nice with John 3.16 and Jesus. Choose Jesus, and then there's a hard left, like a crazy left. And then here's what it says. The faith formula is simple. All it takes is this. Seeing or visualizing whatever you need, whether physical or financial, staking your claim on the scripture, and speaking it into existence. Show me that in the Bible. Just show me where it says that in the Bible. The five key words, if I remember them, on the website. This is what the gospel is. Health, wealth, prosperity, success, and there's one more along those same lines. It is a me-centered gospel. It is all about your best life now. It's a simple inversion of putting you at the center instead of God. It's all about you, your happiness. God is here, and, and this will become your worldview if you follow this teaching. God is here to make your dreams come true instead of you're here to fulfill God's calling on your life as his servant. You see, instead of God being your servant to get your life up and going into success and wealth and prosperity, you're 
here, rather, the gospel says, as his slave. You see, now, a, a gospel that's all about you isn't about Jesus. A, a gospel that's building your self-esteem isn't building the kingdom of God. A gospel that's making your dreams come true isn't helping you fulfill what God wants you to be. Independent of your thoughts, by the way. God has that right to say, hey, I made you this way. I want you to do this. Instead of me telling him, here's my dream. Let's get busy on this. <laughs> That's the gospel that attracted 45,000 people. It's attractive because it says what we want to hear. Wealth, prosperity, health, your happiness, right? Well, it's not about just my happiness. It's about holiness. Here's a great quote. The gospel is not about living your best life now. It's about serving the Lord as his slave, being everyone's lowly servant, living in humility, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, living in holiness, denying ourselves, picking up our crosses, and following Jesus. The second movement, the fastest growing church in America, and the pastor who has been called by some as the next Billy Graham, his name is Rob Bell. He is hip, he is young, he is an incredible communicator, he is well-educated, and he's a false teacher. He has written a book, very popular, Love Wins. And what Love Wins says is that everyone goes to heaven, even the rejectors of the gospel, that they get a second chance after you die, and that love wins out the name of the book, and that nobody ever goes to hell. Hell is what you make here on earth by your bad choices. Now, to counter that, by the way, there's a great book called Erasing Hell, by Francis Chan, wonderful book. He's told Christianity Today, I hated writing it. It made me uncomfortable and quite sick. He said, but I reinvestigated. I fasted, I prayed, I studied for weeks and months. And he said, I came up with the truth. There is a hell, as much as I hate to write about it. That's Orthodox Christianity. My friend, Jesus spoke twice as much about hell as he did heaven. He said things like, hey, is it your sin? Is your sin caused by your hand? Is it something you're doing? Then chop off, sever your hand. Because it'd be better for you to enter heaven with one hand than to be cast into the fires of hell. Where the worm never dies. King James, where the worm dieth not. That doesn't sound pleasant. <laughs> then for you to be cast, everybody whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life shall be thrown into the lake of fire. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life his God's wrath abides upon him. Now, I could go on and on and on. It's depressing. It's not something we all jump up and down about, but it is orthodox Christian teaching. And to take that pillar out, you do not have the gospel anymore. 
What is the good news if we're not saved from what our sins deserve? Why would Jesus bear that cross if something horrible wasn't on the other side of that for those who reject the payment? Be careful. A message then that puts me and my happiness and my prosperity at the center or a teaching that erases entire chapters from the Bible concerning hell and eternal judgment, a doctrine that seeks miracles, signs, and wonders instead of seeking the Lord's face and seeking holiness and seeking the salvation of souls, a teaching that says only love matters no matter what. You know, God is love. You can sin and be sexually active and have heaven too. It may be popular, it may scratch where our ears itch, may tell us what we'd like to hear, but when lined up with the truths of the Bible, we find them to be false teaching that will bring destruction on those who teach it and those who follow. You know, I mentioned a certain church, and I got all a couple emails, and I, that church, I won't mention its name, the one in Reading. <laughs> Come on. The only reason I bring that up is because I've had people in our congregation, multiple people, interested in going to those ministries sponsored by that church. Therefore, since my congregation is affected by those teachings, I must say, by the way, this church takes a stand against that false teaching, not the man, necessarily. I'm just telling you the teaching to say in front of everybody that God is sending gold dust down from heaven on the services and that he comes up and he finds diamonds there as a sign from the Lord and that people's teeth are teeth <laughs> that their teeth are being filled with gold while he's talking and then reading on the internet of people said, look, just can we bring you to the dentist? We just want to look in your mouth. And they look in the mouth and they say, please, this is the work of a dentist. And then there's no recanting. And those are just the beginnings. We do not, here's what Jesus said about signs and wonders. An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after signs and wonders. Don't seek after signs and wonders. And by the way, God can do any signs and wonders that he wants. The biggest sign and wonder of all, he says, preach the gospel and they will be raised from the dead, never to die again. He said, greater things will you do when I go to the Father, greater things than I do. What did he mean by that? You can't do anything greater than Jesus did. He opened blind eyes. He, he healed crippled people. He he cleansed lepers. He cast out demons. He walked on water and he raised the dead. And then he says, greater things, which is their key verse. Show me the greater things. The greater things is this. Preach the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And that person rises to eternal life, never to die again. Poor Lazarus. Lazarus had to die again. After being raised, he has to die again. So Jesus says, hey, I've got something better than what I'm doing. Greater. You're going to preach this word, and somebody's going to come to life, and he will never die. And their eyes will open. 
Blind they used to be, but now they see eternally. Their ears were stopped, and now they hear the voice of God. Their tongues were muted, but now they speak and sing to the glory of God. Greater things shall you do. And that's what we're called to do. Not run around after the miraculous, but run around after the Messiah. And then, if there are signs and wonders, let them fall all over the place. Our God is an awesome God and can do miracles after miracles. There is nothing that God cannot do. But I'm not seeking the thing he can do. I'm, think, I'm seeking him. Amen. Amen. That's how you'll stay safe. Amen. Last verse, and then we'll close. Uh, la last verse, verse 3. Here's the paraphrase. Greed is what's driving these guys. They are able to take advantage of you by making up appealing stories that suck you in. But they aren't getting away with anything. God's judgment upon them has been steadily approaching. Their end is near. So last point, number four, counterfeit teachers, greedy motivation and dreadful destiny. So here's the thinking. A more palatable message means more adherence. More adherence means a wider donor base. A wider donor base means more money for them. When the false teachers see God's sheep coming, instead of feeding the sheep, they think of fleecing the sheep. Because the word that means exploit you means merchandise. They merchandise you. They don't minister and serve you. They see you with dollar signs cha-ching in their eyes. What they can get from you, not what they can give to you. Paul the Apostle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, you know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. Christian teachers have the right to financial support. Those who preach the gospel are to make their living through the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 through 14, Galatians 6, verse 6, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. But the motivation for a minister is not money. If he needs to work a part-time job or a full-time job or two jobs so that he can preach the gospel, that's what he does. David Guzik, I agree with this, a great pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor from Santa Barbara, big, big church. He says um, that the minister should live at the level of the congregation, not above it and not below it. And I think that's a kind of a good rule. These guys, oh no, you're to make them rich and a life of luxury, and you just turn on the TV. I'm not going to call out any names there because really only God knows what's really going on. Uh, money is not bad. It's the heart, and God knows the heart. Here's what uh, one commentator said. The true minister of Jesus Christ has nothing to hide. His life and ministry are an open book. He preaches the truth in love and does not twist the scriptures to support his own self-centered ideas. He does, not get, um, he does not flatter the rich or minister only to make money. As Paul said, rather, we renounce secret and shameful ways. 
We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I tell my seminary students to refrain from knowing the congregation's personal giving records. Uh, I get a little pushback from that. I think it's ridiculous for a pastor to know what the, the congregant gives. I think it's unhealthy. I work with all the numbers, but I don't know what anybody gives. Now, some of you might be relieved to give less. <laughs> but there's somebody watching more important than Pastor Ross, probably. That would be Pastor Jesus. I don't want to be intimidated by how much you give or how little you give or that you don't give at all. I really don't want to know that you're wealthy. I really don't want to know that because I have to talk to you without any bias. I have to tell you the way it is. And if I happen to know, oh boy, you could help out with the next building project and then I got to tell you, you know what? I heard something, you need to get this straight. It's harder to talk to somebody like that. So Paul the Apostle says, hey, we, we take every effort not to be greedy or covetous or to use flattery or to be at all about uh, getting, but all about giving and humility and all of that. The last thought is, he says, finally, he says, your prosperity is a false teacher and your popularity is a limited time only because your appointed destiny is creeping up on you. And so he's saying God's judgment isn't nodding off in the Greek. The word is to nod off. He's saying it may look like they're getting away with everything, but it's been creeping up and God's got both eyes peeled and he's ready to strike in judgment on them. You know, I'm going to close with a really dramatic uh, illustration here. Uh, reading from an article, a jury awarded $2.2 billion, with a B, dollars today to a woman whose pharmacist has admitted to watering down her chemotherapy drugs prescribed for her and many other cancer patients. Wait till you hear this and think about what we're talking about. <laughs> Mr. Courtney pleaded guilty earlier this year to federal charges of diluting chemotherapy drugs. He told investigators that he began doing so in 1992 and that his motive was profit. He was arrested in 2001 and now faces up to 30 years in prison. Ms. Hayes, 44, described by one oncologist at the trial as unlikely to survive because of the diluted chemotherapy, wept as she testified on Wednesday here in Jackson County Circuit Court. He had the cure in his hands, responsible to give it over, but he figured out I, I could change this for some personal gain. It doesn't matter that what I'm offering is now going to destroy somebody's life as long as I am benefiting financially. What a great illustration for what's going on all around us in some instances. 
How much more guilty and severe of a punishment should a man receive who didn't just dilate chemotherapy drugs, but changed the message of eternal life and patted them on the back and sold them a product that they put their faith in that at the end leaves them damned forever. What shall happen to that soul who stood before them with an open Bible and said, it's okay, you're fine, put your faith in me, follow me. God help that soul. It would have been better that he never been born than to have lived a life like that. On a happy note, <laughs> shipwreck is something you can recover from. Paul the Apostle, four times. The metaphor doesn't say you're gone, you listen to a false prophet, you've been abused by a church, you're gone, you hit the rocks. There are many people in this church that have suffered immensely from false teaching and feel crippled to this day because of what they heard. Uh, there's a couple here that came from a church where the pastor said, if you don't tithe 100% of that 10%, then you're not saved. So for seven years, this man heard from the pulpit in this county, if you don't tithe, you're not saved. And if you tithe 9%, maybe you're only 9% saved. It's one thing to know, oh, well, that's ridiculous. But it's another thing to just get mixed truth from the pulpit and a lie. It makes you crazy. And they've been recovering from craziness because you can, they were shipwrecked. But now they're not. They're out on the open seas, full sails. They're doing well. But I know a lot of your stories. That's why we take care. Word of God. We will no longer be tossed back and forth like babies with every new teaching. Here and there, oh, a new teaching, oh, a new teaching. But instead, grow up into our faith to become mature in the Lord through the word of God and keeping ourselves in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could do nothing without Jesus we are nothing, you are everything. It's your truth, God, that keeps us safe. May we abide by the word of God, cling to it, meditate on it, love it, preach it, sing it, memorize it, and live by it. And may we keep our lives in step with the Holy Spirit and be kept safe. We love you for making it so simple, God. We just want to follow you in simplicity and truth and add nothing to your word or take nothing away and just walk with you in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.